can we finally say, thank God it's finally Christmas at first? I mean, some of us have been jonesing for some real Christmas celebration around here, so I'm kind of glad it's here. I can, I, you know, when Aaron makes fun of people that would like Christmas to be extended beyond December, maybe beyond November, maybe... I might resemble that. I might that resemble that a little bit. I might have grown up in a home that played Christmas carols in July. I might, might have been raised in that household. So, I mean, shouldn't we celebrate the birth of Jesus more than just December anyway? I mean, come on. So next time you see that young guy, can you, can you punch him in the arm or something? Just give him some spiritual encouragement from me and just say, hey, lay off those of us that love Christmas. I'm sorry, I should probably be in counseling this morning, but instead I'm going to preach. So, hey, so glad that you're here today, and uh, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite Christmas gifts as we kick off this series, Prepare Him Room. Now, Christy and I had just been dating for a little bit, and I remember it was the first chance I had to go to her grandma's house. Now, Grandma Myers is a saint. She's since passed away, God bless her, and we love her to death, miss her something terribly, but I remember the first time we went to Grandma Myers' house. Now, Grandma Myers lives in southern Illinois, a small town called Oblong. The only Oblong in all of the United States is in Illinois. Can I get an amen? Some of you know that? Okay. So I got to find that out. I went to Grandma's house. She lives on the south side of town, right off the major highway. She lives in just a little three-bedroom, one-bath house, and we walk in, and it's, it's kind of still staged like it's 1982, which is kind of nostalgic for us all, isn't it? Because even to this day, it still kind of looks that way. But we walk in and we're kind of hanging out and we're talking family and she's got her nativity and she's got her organ because she used to play carols for us and she used to play cards at the kitchen table. But we all go in and we sit around uh, this tree that's in her living room. And I had been coached. My wife had kind of coached me on what's appropriate and how to handle time with, with Grandma Myers. Anybody else get coached when you go to family events? Because if you miss it, you might as well not have come, you know. So I, I am a guy who can miss the obvious. So Christy says what we do at Grandma's house is we have what we call ooh and ah time. Do you guys have ooh and ah time when Christmas presents come out? If you're not sure what ooh and ah time is, ooh and ah time is just simply giving respect and honor for all the effort that was ever gone into giving you a gift. You want to appreciate it. You want to recognize it. It's not hokey. It's not fake. It's not made up. It's just genuine. And so um, she says, let's, let's just have an appropriate response uh, to grandma. Now, I don't know if it was contingent on whether we'd get married or not. Clearly, I did okay. But I, I was under a lot of pressure, okay? And so it goes around, and we've got some friends that are there because the, the Henry family is very gracious. They let us bring college friends over at Christmas as well. And so we're all going around, and we're opening our presents, and, um, and it comes to my turn. And um, this is the season when it's, there's a popular TV show on NBC about a family and uh, sweaters kind of became the theme that year. Do you know what I'm saying? Here, here's what I got. I got something that looks like this. Can you see that sweater? Remember when the bit, you remember those things? And that doesn't have quite enough color as what mine had, you know? So here I am. I open this, this, this box. It's for me. It's got my name on it. And I open it up, and it's like Danny in the amazing Technicolor sweater. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like beams are coming out of it. I, you know, I, it's kind of taking over the moment, if you will. And, and then I pull it out, you know, and I, I'm expecting to, to pull it out, and I, I pull it out. You know what I'm saying? It's like a medium, you know, it's like Under Armour before it was Under Armour, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm caught because, you know, hey, this is a cool sweater and she's gone to great lengths. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, I'm like fat guy in a little sweater. It's not going to go well, you know, at grandma's house. So, but we oohed and we odd, and it's one of the points we just laugh about. It's one of the great moments of sitting with grandma because 
When you capture a moment of you understand what somebody has done for you to the lengths that they've gone, Grandma loved shopping. She loved picking out unique gifts for everybody, something that they would take for themselves, and it would be an expression of her love to you. And Grandma Myers had, had bought me a sweater that was too small, but we could exchange it. She kept her receipts. And I remember just the joy and the hope and the peace and the love that was expressed about being now a part of this new family. I want to ask you today, as we jump into Prepare Him Room, where are you looking for love this season? Where are you looking to express love, to give love, to share love? Each and every one of us have the capacity to be loved and to give love. And it's what we want to talk about as we open this kind of Advent season as a church. Let's talk about love. Now, if you've been following with us at all uh, as a church, we actually have stepped into what we call the Advent season. And we define Advent as this. It's a season of waiting and preparation for the expectation of hope to come. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, as you read, there's this, this season of wanting for a, a Messiah to come and to give himself as the king of all the earth. We know him as Jesus. And Advent kind of has a, a, a twofold meaning for us. Now that Christ has come, now we anticipate his returning, which is why joy to the world is so appropriate for this season. Because we are constantly living a life of preparing room for God to work in and through our lives as Christ will one day return again as the king of all the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, if you've not had a chance to be a part of our Advent season, I want to encourage you because through Facebook and Instagram, we actually have a, a devotional that's happening every day of the week. We've chosen words throughout this season to take one word and, and, and to create a devotion around it, just a, a scriptural thought, something for us to wrestle with. And so if you're looking for something maybe to uh, kick off your family breakfast with or to prepare your mindset before work or to close your, your day out with a thought, on Facebook and Instagram, we're doing an Advent devotional that you can just follow along with and make part of your Advent season. But today we want to look at a passage out of the book 1 John. And 1 John is a book written by a man named John. Not John the Baptist, who many of us maybe think of in the coming of Jesus, but John, the one who's, who's loved, a close friend of Jesus. And he writes these letters to Christians about reminding us about how our lives should be lived for God's glory and God's honor. Now, 1 John in and of itself talks about love in like three different movements. And specifically, we're going to look at chapter 4 of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up there. And we're going to jump into 1 John and kind of see in verse 4 as he's bringing this culmination of how God is love and we have experienced love and we should express this love. He brings it all together for us to understand this, this reciprocating relationship that we have with God in us and through us so that the world around us might know God firsthand, his love and his experience his character through our lives. We'll start in 1 John 4, uh, starting in verse 7, and it says this, this. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only, sent us his one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. This love, this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I love this passage. Because this is, you know, especially for, for Christmas time, none of us, excuse me, none of us really want to have a harsh, harsh conversation, do we? These are the seasons we want something encouraging, something relational, something that says, hey, we're in this together. And John is writing to these Christians and he's saying, hey, friends, family, we are for one another. We are bonded together. We care for one another. We, we, we know who we are. So, so, so pull in closely to this. Listen to this. Don't let it just wash over you and just kind of just go through the normal traditions of the season. Listen to this. This is what love looks like. This is what love experience lo looks like. And John begins to describe love, not in a sense of a, a friendship love or an erotic love, but in a love that is unconditional, one that is rooted in our relationship with God. And he makes this huge statement that love comes from God. Therefore, if you love, you know God. And if you don't know God, you, you may not know love. Now, John's not saying you can't love because each and every one of us are created in the image of God. We long to be loved. We long to express but But love in its fullness, in its maturity, in the purest sense of what we understand God's love to be, when we live out God's love, that's when. That's when we recognize the difference between knowing about God and God being truly active in us. So God is love. That's what we're saying in this, right? And we look at this through maybe a, a picture throughout history, and we understand that God created our entire world, that all of creation, and even ourselves, we are created in the image of God. God's expression of his character is seen as the fingertips of all of creation, but most specifically in humanity, that we were created to love. And so John makes this statement that God is love, but understand this, love is not God. It's a minor tweak, it's a minor understanding, but it is the confusion of the world we live in. I mean, think about how we celebrate how great love must be, like it's the epitome of being in relationship, of having a, a marriage, or I mean... How many Hallmark movies happen this time of year where they finish and we say, hey, I'm just glad being independent in myself and God's made me the way I am. Thank you for having me be who I am. No. Everybody waits for the couple to get back together. We almost worship love, don't we? When God is love, but love is not God. It's like saying, well, well grass is green, therefore green must be grass. No. Love is a character and expression of who God is. It's, it's perhaps the greatest characteristic that we as humanity get to experience throughout this life. But God's love is what changes us. It's our reminder that John is trying to say this, that God's greatest show of love 
was sending us Jesus. When we look around the world and we wonder what love looks like as Christ followers, we start with this, is that God would send himself, the person of Jesus, into humanity, that we might see God's, God's faithfulness, God's purity, God's compassion, God's justice, God's character living out in real time through history, through humanity, and then to see his life sacrificed for us. That's what love looks like. And God has proved his love for us. John literally says that no one has seen God. And this idea of seeing God isn't just visibly uh, recognizing. It's, it's a word that's often used in theater. Nobody has seen God displayed or performed except through the person of Jesus. That everything we look at in the world, the thing that points most to the very nature and character of who God is, it's Jesus. And John says, that play has a second act. It's you and me. That when people want to know what Jesus is truly like, it's his followers. It's his people who claim to know God, to have been loved by God, that our love becomes that theatrical performance in front of a world to say, if you tangibly want to know who God is, spend time with a Christ follower. Their words, their actions, their relationships. You should be able to look at them in such a way that you go, that must be God. That's what John's calling us to. So then he goes on to say this a little bit. He just says this. This is how we know that we live in him. He has given us his spirit. The S is capitalized, meaning the character of God, the very spirit of God. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence, confidence on the day of judgment, the, the returning of Christ. We'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. John is kind of setting up this apologetic, if you will. It's, imagine that we are, we are sitting in a courtroom and, and, and John has stepped up kind of as the defendant, representing the defendant. He's defending who God is and who we're supposed to be. And like bullet points, he begins to stack his evidence. It's almost cyclical, isn't it? You almost kind of see, well, God is love. God is in us. We are in God. God is in us. It kind of keeps going back and forth. But he hits just verse after verse. Verse, verse 13, God gave us his spirit. Verse 14, we are eyewitnesses to who Jesus is. How do we know that? 
We confess this in our relationship and, and fellowship with each other. We abide in him and he abides in us. Meaning we rest in this relationship with God and God is resting in us so that from within, God's character is being expressed without. And then we see this, this fruit that we have confidence we have confidence that one God will return one day, and when God comes to judge the world, we'll be able to stand as friend and family, not as foe, because we've seen God's love. And while we see, consider him holy and righteous and just and powerful, we call him our daddy. We know his strength, we know his might, but there's no fear in us because God's love is resonating within. So ultimately, our love begins to express to the world around us. We begin to recognize that who God has made us to be, who God has called us to be, now must be expressed in the world around us. It reminds us that the arrival of Jesus was the fulfillment of God's love. What does it look like for mature or complete love? That's what he's talking about, the, the fulfillment, the completion of love. It's in the life and the expression of Jesus. And each one of us are called to live a love, not one like a, a teenage infatuation, but one that is deeply rooted in a sense of sacrifice, of surrender, and obedience towards God. And as God completes and matures in us this grand expression of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of all of humanity, the redemption for all of humanity begins to be amplified through our very lives before others. It's this gospel message. It's the good news to the entire world. That God's love not only came and gave his life for us, but that we have received that love and we now live as a movement of love. People who are loved and live God's love in the world around us. You could say it this way. That God's love experienced becomes God's love expressed. So let me just pause for a moment. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you say that I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and my life everlasting, the world around you would say, then how does that make a difference? Where's, where's the proof that that's actually happening from your life? And this is perhaps the most controversial portion and confrontational portion of our message. That John is just simply saying this, friends, you can't claim to believe and to have received and not live out a life that expresses to the love of God to the world around you. Not that you haven't received forgiveness, not that you don't know it to be true, but you are to be a conduit that when you receive God's love, it should begin to permeate the world around you. And if it doesn't, 
the question just becomes for you. Do you really understand the sacrifice of Jesus? Do you really understand his love for you? Because when it comes to God's ooh and ah time, it's not something to be hokey or something to be contrived, but it's a response of reverence in a relationship that when God shopped for you, he gave everything so that you might know his love. John says it this way. You want to see the proof of God's love? Look at Jesus. The world wants to see God's love? They should see you. This is who we are as disciples. Matter of fact, Jesus literally says, they're going to recognize you, not by the way that you vote or the car that you drive or the house that you live in or the team that you cheer for. They're going to know you because they've seen my love and they're going to expect from you that same kind of love from your life. Isn't that a isn't that kind of a challenge? Isn't that kind of a scary thought? That God has actually given us the freedom to be his ambassadors, to be his example. Love should motivate us, not out of our failures or things that we've done wrong, but the love of God should compel us that his grand forgiveness and acceptance has propelled us forward. He's loved us first. I know in a season like this, sometimes you begin to unpack. You begin to unpack this idea of Advent, of Christmas. And sometimes the sentimental season maybe stirs up something different. Sometimes the holidays can bring up unbroken relationships Sometimes the holidays can bring up loss. Sometimes the holidays bring up things that, that we wish the rest of the world really didn't know. And of all the darkness that can seem to capture these moments, God is saying this, that his love should pierce our hearts. And his love should send us out so that those of us that are hurting or broken, those of us that are struggling or even depressed, that we might be that hope and joy and love to people and that we might reside in the love that God has already given us. Listen now, John finishes this passage, though. Verse 19 says this. We love, Why? Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a fibber. No, it doesn't say fibber. It says liar. Right? It's a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given, given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, you almost want to underline that word, must also love their brother and sister. John pulls his family and friends in and he goes, hey, come, come here for a second. 
Let us love one another like God loves us. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? You can almost see everybody sipping on their eggnog and holding their, their, their spice. You know, they're, they're drinking and sitting next to each other. Oh, yeah, we should love one another. You know, the Hallmark movie's playing in the background. I know they don't have electricity back in Jesus' today, but just walk with me for a second, right? And Jesus is just saying, oh, we should love one another. Oh, yeah. And in the room, there's, there's that uncle that drives you crazy. That you're standing in a relationship that maybe is broken. There's an empty chair across the room because someone's not there anymore. And John walks through all of these things. And it starts out as this, we should do this, we should do this. And when everybody's leaning fully in, John just says this, we must love. Notice the transition. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let us, we should do this, we should do this. We must love. Friends, I'm not void from pain at the holiday times. I'm not void from relationships that are broken or hurting. But this passage is such a great anthem of who we should be as Christ followers. And we would be remiss if all of us go, it was great to be at church today. We should love, we should love, we should love. And then we go back to the homes that we're a part of and shut down and hold back and isolate or ignore. Because as John would say, John would say, we must love. Let me illustrate it to you this way. First John chapter 4 is trying to give us a picture of understanding the world that we're a part of. And for illustration purposes, we'll say that this is our world. And from the beginning of creation, literally God began to pour out his love into the world around us. Matter of fact, everything about creation points to the fingertips of God. And as God began to create this earth and fill the world, he filled it out of his love. God gave of himself, but ultimately he created man in his image. These little marbles kind of represent how God's fingerprints are on us. We are created to be loved and to give love. And so God, God placed us in all of creation. But as we live our life, we begin to realize, maybe through bumps or bruises, we begin to realize that God's love is much bigger than what we understand or know. We begin to see simple things like a sunset, a newborn baby, a puppy at Christmas time. And we begin to realize that this world is just full of love. And maybe we don't even know Jesus yet, but we can tell that around us, love is everywhere. Love begins to actually lift us up. We can see it on the, on the movies that we're watching. We can see it in the, in the carols that are sung. We see people walking through the mall and see the, the smiles on their faces and we just... You just can't help but get caught up in all the love that's just around us, can we? I mean, sure, I realize somebody probably took your parking spot or maybe they bought the last one in front of you. But the truth of the matter is, if we just take a deep breath, during the holiday times, we realize that the world is just full of love. And then there comes a point that we realize that love just doesn't happen. Love just isn't just here or around us. That love had a purpose. That love was Jesus. 
for each and every one of us that call ourselves a Christ follower, we, we see the world around us filled with God's love and we begin to realize this sacrifice of Jesus. And it's one thing to recognize that God's love is expressed all throughout the world and given to us in Jesus. But John is saying, but no, he's done more. Whether you were at the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection or not, those of us who have received God's love have been given God's spirit. And so now God's presence is in us. And so God begins to, begins to fill us. I mean, isn't this what, what new life in Christ is all about? That by the power of God's spirit, we're not only created in God's love, but we, we receive God's love. We're sealed with his spirit. And when we begin to live that way, we begin to realize that the world isn't just filled with love. But as Christians, we are surrounded, submersed, immersed in God's love. And, and if it's not enough that God is covered in his love, God has filled us with his love. And so that every portion of a Christ follower's life is that everything around him or her is about living a life of love. Every relationship, every work environment, every person at the gym, every conversation, every time you're driving down the road, that as we live, we are surrounded, immersed, covered in God's love, and we are filled with God's love. And so love not only permeates through us, but God's love connects us to the world around us so that all of creation, all of humanity, all of the world might evidence the resurrecting power of Jesus, not only for them, but through us. Friends, let us love. Because we must love. Let's move to our time of response. The question we kind of started with today is, where are you looking for love? Both to receive and to express. As some of us, we live in a world and we know that we're created in God's image. We recognize that God's fingerprints are in the world around us. But like many of us, we're floating above it. We've distanced ourselves from us. And what John wants us to realize is covered in God's love, surrounded by God's love, filled with God's love, that God's love should begin to permeate every portion of our lives. So maybe today your marriage is broken. Maybe some days you, you stand in a home that it's hard to recognize whether love is even within arm's reach. And John says, but God's spirit is in you. That same resurrection power that brought Christ from the dead is in you. So maybe he doesn't feel it or she doesn't feel it. John would say, we must love. It's only through God's love that these things will be healed and restored. Maybe you're dreading that time when you're going to sit around the Christmas tree because you remember the words that you said. You remember the argument that you had. 
you remember how everybody saw it 15 years ago. And even now, 15 years ago, everybody's still on pins and needles. John says, we must love. Or maybe you find yourself just walking into the office or in the place that you work. Whether it's at school, whether it's at electrical or construction, whether you're autonomous on your own and doing your own thing and maybe you only see people once in a while when you pull up to the grain bin or the grain elevator to drop stuff off. Small talk is nice. Being friendly is good. But we must love. So maybe we sit down and we talk more than sports. Maybe we ask questions and just listen. One of my favorite moments that I see love expressed was this weekend. Hundreds of you served yesterday when we invited every, every foster care agency and adoption agency to our church. This room looked nothing like what it looks right now. It was filled with a few inflatables in here and it was noisy. And people were laughing and clapping and celebrating. If you walked to the back of the building, there was these rooms set up with games and face painting and high school students and children and adults painted faces, handed out cookies, and got their picture with Santa. And for a minute, all of us were reminded that before God, we are all adopted into his family. See, we were rebellious before God. We distance ourselves from God. It wasn't because of our great love for God that God did this. It was God's great love for us. And to have the ability to to serve and to walk amongst you all, to ask questions, to say thank you for serving, to, to get a chance to watch our community and our friends and, and many families in this church that are involved in foster care and adoption and to see you serve, not for yourself, but because this resurrection power that we talk about is being expressed in us and through us. And those are great moments. But you know what? The love of God flows beyond programming at this location. And while I believe people saw Jesus in us and people experienced Jesus in us here, they expect it when they walk on this campus, don't they? As one person said to me, I'm in the house of God, right? You know, friends, this is a building Acts says God lives in us. And if you want to confuse a world that believes there is no God, you must love. Because it's not the building. It's the power of the presence of Jesus in us. So friends, let's respond. Some of us through these songs will come and pray at these benches. Some of us will go to the six tables 
Go to the one closest to you where there's these candles with bread and juice sitting there. It reminds us that this is God's body broken for us. This is his blood poured out for us. It's a reminder that God made room for us in his family. And so we prepare for him room to work in us. And then may we also respond in the give and respond boxes. Decisions of faith that we need to make. Prayers that we need to ask for people to join us in. And giving of our tithes and offerings. But may God and his love not only be recognized around us. But may it permeate the very soul of our life. So that everywhere we go, everything that we say, everything that we do would reek of his spirit and not ours. Friends, let's stand, let's respond, and let's be reminded we must.